Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff to spice up the bedroom is even better. Whether you're buying a gift for your sugar baby or just for yourself, you can get 50% off at adamandeve.com when you enter the code CANDY at checkout. And that's not all. Adam and Eve will include 10 tantalizing free gifts, a sexy item for him, a special gift for her, and a third item all partners can enjoy. Plus, you'll receive six free spicy movies. But the best part is the free shipping. You can get all of this at adamandeve.com using code CANDY at checkout. That's C-A-N-D-Y. So Shelby, what are you getting me? Candy Girl Podcast. Fuck me, Daddy. <laughs> hey, all you candy sluts and bubble butts. Welcome to another episode of Candy Girl. I'm your host, Shelby. And I'm your co-host, Emily. And today, we're talking to Dr. Mistress Snow. <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. Hi, my name is Mistress, Dr. Mistress Snow. <laughs> um, I am a professor and dominatrix. And I am a writer, and I write on issues of academia, education, labor, and power, and sex, obviously. (laughs) I am so excited for this conversation. I actually saw, I have two Twitters. I have a personal Twitter, and then one that follows all of these UT accounts. And I saw somebody quoted you on my UT Twitter, (laughs) and I was like, oh, who is this? So I went to your page, and I found it. And we um, emailed our assistant kit and we were like, you need to get us in contact with her. Like, this would be such a cool episode. So they funny. were like, we're on it. I wonder if, yeah, cool. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be on here. So, yeah, I, I want to talk about a couple things. Of course, balancing being a professor and a sex worker, how you got interested in sex work, and then the social implications of being a sex worker, particularly in this country. But I guess, yeah, we should start with how did you get into sex work? Yeah, in high school, I did like rudimentary, I want to say escorting light, but that's really giving it more credit than it was to pay for voice lessons. And then when I was in college, I mostly had like vanilla jobs or retail. I I worked as a tutor, worked as a camp counselor, you know, stuff like that. And then the summer after college, I went back to sex work just to, you know, like make ends meet in the summer in between college and graduate school. And again, it was kind of like, I feel like every time I've gone into sex work, I've kind of like stumbled ass backwards into like, oh, like I'm not planning on doing sex work, but wait a minute, like, oh, there are all these dudes that I'm seeing and buy me dinner and then I go like beat them up. Um, (laughs) So, you know, it's been kind of, kind of hopped between doing like independent work, working in houses. I really stuck to BDSM work in college and I haven't really, or when I finished college and haven't really strayed from that since, but there you go. I needed money to know how to make it. (laughs) Yeah, that, that I feel like half the time is how most people get into it anyways. And then they fall in love with it. I feel like most of the sex workers we've talked to totally fall in love with it. Well, there's some people I know who just like, were like always knew they'd be a dominatrix or something. And I that wasn't really my path. Um, I do enjoy it a lot of the time, not all the time, of course, but like, yeah, it was more that, you know, various situations in which I needed cash and just didn't know how else to get it, you know, the fate of <laughs> any millennial <laughs> or Zoomer or whatever. So before we started this interview, we were lightly touching on the topic of doxing, which is something that happens a lot to sex workers. And I kind of want to get in on your thoughts about 
why there's this stigma around sex work and why people think it's okay for them to dock sex workers? Yeah, so I think a lot of the stigma, especially in the U.S., comes down to people's perceptions of legality, which always just blows my mind because, like, a bunch of fucked up shit is legal and a bunch of non-fucked up shit <laughs> is illegal. Like, slavery was legal. The Japanese internment camps were illegal. Like, it's legal for banks to steal my money, but not for me to rob a bank. <laughs> like, so I think that's a lot of it. A lot of, I mean... So when I, I outed myself to my uh, my mentor from graduate school last year, and her immediate concern was like, "Well, you know, this is this is illegal. How are you going? What are you going to do if you get caught?" And I had to be like, "Girl, actually, doming isn't illegal in a lot of places. Like, it, it is illegal in like like Massachusetts. I think has like really puritanical laws. I, I mean, that's kind of similar to uh, drug dealing, I would say, um, in that." You know, we have dispensaries, which are fine, but a street dealer is somehow morally corrupt rather than the system under which we're all operating being morally corrupt, right? So that's my first thought. My second is that it's just like a horrifying mix of classism and misogyny. Um, you know, there are some sex workers who can pull in six figures, but that the vast majority do not. <laughs> I mean, the vast majority of people do not. So. <laughs> Most sex workers, in my anecdotal experience, are working class, lower middle class, doing it for the money, at least in some respect, in the same way that literally anyone does any job for the money. And people hate, people hate poor people. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then as far as uh, like sexism goes, you know, this is, it's the case with, with almost all feminized labor like teaching people think teaching is easy and I'm like oh okay <laughs> like you try to lock down a classroom of 30 people while there's an active shooter <laughs> so you know that's that's kind of my my thinking I'd say the legality aspect is probably amplified in the U.S. but as far as like gender and class go I'm pretty universal and speaking of labor, a lot of sex work exclusionary radical feminists will say that they don't think sex work is a feminist movement because it's exploitive under capitalism. Like literally everything else under capitalism. <laughs> like, like all labor is. Ah! <laughs> so why do you think why do you think even feminists target sex workers? That's a really good question and one that I don't have a canned answer to. So well done. Uh <laughs> You know, I, I often have people say like, well, you know, all work is sex work or women at least will say like, all, because pretty much all embodied labor, teaching, for example, uh, if you're a woman does, well, I mean, and if you're a man, really just in general, but it, you know, it does depend on, on your physicality, on your embodiment and is just so often sexualized. Like I've been sexually harassed more as a professor. I mean, IRL, online, different story, but like... <laughs> I've yeah I've been hassled by more colleagues and students at the university than I have in a dungeon it's no comparison so and you know saying that like all all work is sex work kind of rubs me the wrong way in most cases because I'm like well yeah but you're not going to get arrested for like fucking you know being a tv anchor you'll get sexualized for sure but like you're not going to get your uh bank account closed and then your money like stolen you go to the police I mean don't go to the police ever but like 
you have the option <laughs> to go to the police if you are attacked at work. But I think that pushing back against sex workers is in a way allowing some women to distance themselves from that constant sexualization that we experience under capitalism. And it gives a more immediate thing to blame for that sexualization because you know we should be blaming heteropatriarchal capitalist culture that depends on the sexualization of feminized bodies like that is the problem <laughs> but instead you know uh this gives or this offers the like structure of the the sex worker to blame for perpetuating sexism when actually the the work is just surviving under that structure is by take if that made sense <laughs> that's really interesting a great take <laughs> you talked a little bit about and this is this is on your twitter too about how your mentor dropped you when she found out that you were a dominatrix would you want to speak on that experience oh my god yeah i was just like writing this like long write about it yes sure so last summer i so i hadn't been doing sex work since 2014 and then last summer i got i you know, ended up in a real fucked up financial situation and had to kind of scramble for cash in a very short period of time. And sex work was really the only option that I saw. Uh, and in retrospect, like I have not since been like, oh, well, I could have, I'm like, I don't know, I could have sold drugs, I guess. Well, no, I couldn't have because I don't, I don't even have access to the system. But I started or I went back to sex work last summer and I was talking to my former mentor. She and I were pretty close. We had a, in retrospect, too close, not like sexual or anything, but like girl boundaries relationship. And we're just chatting and talking about like how the summer's been, how like we had been feeling so hot, blah, blah, blah. The, the conversation got kind of tense. At one point, she seemed really concerned from where I was sitting at the time that I, uh, that my income flow had been disrupted. So I was like, you know, I didn't want to tell you this, but you know, since you're worried, I'll just let you know, I've actually been working quite a lot. I've been making money. I've been able to pay my bills. I've been doing, you know, I've been doing sex work and I, I didn't really want to tell you because I didn't want to, <laughs> but since you're worried about my financial situation, you know, I have it under control. And that just like backfired in the most spectacular ways. She was like, not okay. <laughs> she responded. She was like, I'm going to have to process. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And I was like, okay <laughs> and then the next day she wrote and I will like never fucking forget this this will be like the last thing I see before I die she sent me this long ass email and one paragraph started money is always nice to have but it doesn't seem to me like this is about the money yeah which struck me at the time like even then as a a class issue but b a generational issue this bitch was a boomer, is a boomer, naturally. And someone like myself, who, if, if I were 30 years older and I had gotten my PhD in the 80s instead of the teens, then it would have been far exponentially more likely, as much as like tenured professors like to argue like, no, the job market's always been bad, like shut the fuck up. It would have been way more likely for me to have a tenure track job and or even like for me to have a minimum wage job that paid all of my bills, opposed to minimum wage jobs now that are like, we're, yeah, we're going to pay you enough to like maybe live in your car illegally because you can't pay for car insurance. So yeah, it, it struck me at like she was in a position where she could not understand the reality of not being able to pay your bills and having them due and just not knowing where the money is coming from. Because a lot of people, like a lot of people are broke, but a lot of people haven't been in that very, in that 
position of just not knowing, right? And that's like, and that's not, you know, generationally specific. Like there's certainly like, you know, my parents, for instance, who would play like, you know, who would play like Russian roulette with like Bill Ping. Um, but, you know, I think she interpreted it as because this person is doing sex work, they clearly hadn't properly prepared. They were too irresponsible to set up a rainy day fund, which of course assumes that your regular income doesn't require you to live paycheck to paycheck. Like, yeah, whatever the fuck a rainy day fund even means would be like awesome if that were a reality. <laughs> I think it, it, it struck her as just like a series of irresponsible mistakes in addition to, you know, her just also being a sexist, classist bitch. Oh, but following that, right. So this happened last, this was about a year ago, last August, I told her. And the way the academic job market works is you apply for, it's similar to the academic year where, you know, you, or I guess for applying to college, you, know, you apply in the fall, you find out, like you might get an interview in the winter, you find out if you got the job. In the spring. So I, I was applying for tenure track jobs in the fall and I needed, you need three letters of recommendation as when you're applying to, I don't know if you need three for college, but you do for grad school in most cases. And she was one of my letter writers. So a couple of weeks after this went down, I was like, yo, could you revise my, your letter of recommendation for me so I can apply for jobs? And she didn't respond for a couple of weeks. And then she was like, you know, I'm not in a position to write this letter for you right now. And I was like, uh, okay, like, I, and I mean, I wasn't gonna argue with her at that point because arguing with her, yelling with her, wasn't going to make her change her mind. She wasn't gonna be like, wow, because you called me a bitch, I'm gonna write it now. Like, you know? So I just, you know, tried to say in her good graces, like, oh, okay, like, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you for being honest, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, she was my third letter writer out of three. So I, you know, I was able to scramble. I got two replacement letters. So, ha. Huh. Um, <laughs> I've since gotten like, even more than that. But, you know, about a month after that, I was, I was at work at, at uh, the school where I teach in between two of my classes, I was sitting in my office, and I was in a bad mood. And I was like, you know, this, this professor had really, she and I had been like thick as thieves. So I was like, you know, I want to see what she said about me in her letter. I'm in a bad mood. It'll cheer me up to, to read someone talking about how awesome I am and how I'm like a, a dope teacher. So <laughs> I signed into Interfolio and Interfolio is a dossier system that academics use to apply for academic jobs and letters of recommendation are all confidential, but you can have your letters mailed out to various institutions you're applying to, but you can also have it mailed out to like whoever the fuck you want, because there's not a ton of oversight. So one of my friends was like, just give my email address and send a letter to me. I was like, cool, awesome. So I log in and I go under letters and hers isn't there. And I'm like, like, am I misreading? Like, are there two pages of letters? That, and I'm like, not seeing hers. Like maybe this is like one page. Cause you know, she, I, I've been applying for, for, I've had years worth of application materials on my dossier. So I had stuff from like 2016 even. And I'm like, looking, okay, I can't find it. And she had withdrawn all of my previous letters. So I was expecting she wouldn't write me a new one that I was fine with. But I never imagined she would have gone and withdrawn the ones she... I didn't even know that was an option. Like the, a lot of the people that I talked to were like, that. that's not true. Like I thought it was, I made it up because they're like, that's so unheard of. And it was at that point, I was like, incandescent afraid. <laughs> I, I wrote an, a reporter I know at the Chronicle to be like, hey, uh, this fuck shit just happened. 
y'all want to hear about it? And she put me in touch with my editor who, who focuses a lot on like labor. And I, and I like wrote out an article that day. I was just so angry. <laughs> so that got, got stuck in fact checking and copy editing for legit like two months in large part because they were like, Interfolio doesn't do that. Like they had to call Interfolio and confirm it because they didn't even believe that there was an option to withdraw your letters. <laughs> so it finally came out in December and went viral amongst online academics pretty immediately. And since then, as I claimed my anonymity for dear life, I've been using the platform to, you know, talk about adjunctification and labor rights and sex worker rights other assorted fuck shit I wouldn't put on name. Yeah, I had a friend who was a sugar baby and when she told her therapist, yeah, her therapist dropped her right after she found out, which is not the same experience, but I feel like a similar... But still, well, first of all, I've done various forms of sex work and sugaring is, in my experience, by far the most emotionally exhausting of any of them. Second, when I outed myself to my therapist, she was like, word, I used to be a dog. Uh, that sucks for your friend. I can give her a referral. <laughs> she needs it like so badly. <laughs> oh my god! I uh, what a time to be alive. What I don't understand, and I'm sure that you spent a lot more time thinking about this than I have. Is why do people demonize sex workers so much? I I think that they fear like a guilt by association. In a lot of ways, like I've had a lot of. I I mean you know even something as benign as watching porn is demonized like you're not gonna want to do you remember a couple years ago was it like ted cruz like to porn tweet so like even something as simple as that is something that people want to hide so like i've had people say like i don't want to follow you on twitter because i don't want people to think that i'm into bdsm and i'm like literally why would anyone think that like but, but i mean i think a lot of people fear being associated with sex workers but lest others think that they are participating in it or endorsing it or participating in it that's my guess that's so whack because i wish senators just watched porn yeah they do in like fucking denmark right like <laughs> um or like i don't know that that was the first that came to mind but man i never thought i'd say this we owe that man an apology i never thought i'd ask anyone yeah know if i want to apologize yeah <laughs> i'd take any reason to bully ted That's, cruz i yeah, feel like yeah, no, no. well he is the zodiac killer moving on <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, th- I think that that has a lot to do with it you said earlier that when you told your therapist you were a dominatrix she was like word same and we've noticed throughout our interviews that a lot of sex work has an element of therapy with their clients do you see that in your work as well oh yeah so I've never been a therapist (laughs) but I do often function as one for students and I will say from my end talking to talking through shit with a student versus talking through shit with a client is a very different experience in most cases in most cases <laughs> but I like I have had it might, I'm, it might even be more than half of my clients have come in uh to resolve some specific childhood trauma and they'll tell me that you know at the beginning of a session they'll be like like oh my mother did this or there, there was this one dude who's kind of notorious in the, the city where I work for I, I well I say there's one dude but there's like legit dozens of, of dudes who are notorious for you know going to dungeons several times a week and one that I'm thinking of like his mother did 
force him to do these like various activities when he was a child. And then he has a kind of script that he follows almost with Doms where he'll like the first session you'll do X, the second session you'll do Y. And through that series of sessions, at least he feels that he's healing. So yes. (laughs) I do love that. (laughs) That's wholesome. Do you find that there are similarities between teaching and Dom work? So I really actively try to keep the two I try to keep them separated in my head um, because I don't want one to bleed into the other. I, re- I noticed I was teaching like a year ago and there, there was this one class that was just like, they didn't like me. I wasn't particularly fond of the class either. And they were like getting ready to go with so, like five minutes left before class ended. And I like whipped around and was like, did I say you could pack up your things? And they were like, no ma'am <laughs> and that was one of those like oh I need to not do that like I need to or I noticed like one time one of my colleagues at the university was being just like a real asshole to me and I started laughing at her in the same voice that I or the same laugh that I have for small penis humiliation sessions and I was like dude you need to not do that you're gonna get fired like so <laughs> And I mean, no one else would know that. Like, I knew that it was my SPH left, but like, this bitch didn't. But I try very hard to keep them apart from each other. I do find that doing sex work has helped me deal with students' transference. Because, you know, any teacher, I'm sure, can attest to students kind of projecting certain figures onto them, whether it's a parent or, you know, a different teacher or the whatever it has helped me see that like a lot of these feelings aren't personal it had like even you know with my mentor acting a fool when I thought of myself to her I'm like okay this is has more to do with her than it does with me so it's helped me kind of deal with things that might otherwise would derail me if that makes sense and we talked a little bit before about harassment I guess in academia do you feel like being a dominatrix gives you a certain amount of not courage, but maybe like boldness to be able to not take that shit from people? So that's, I feel like that's kind of a chicken or the egg scenario. <laughs> so the first time I spoke out against a teacher having sex with a student was when I was in high school. And one of the teachers was sleeping with multiple of my friends. Yeah. And <laughs> so God, and this is such a fucking goofy this was back in the myspace era right so i so i in a past life was an opera singer and my school was having some like international day bullshit and i was thinking some ukrainian opera shit at this event that my school had right and the next day the teacher sent me a myspace message that was like hey i uh i heard you were singing for a crowd yesterday maybe i could get a private performance and i was like <laughs> and like printed it out and like took it to the high school but yeah you know she ended up not getting fired because she had tenure and because this country is garbage but that's kind of I've never really been one to take people's shit ever like ever I remember (laughs) I was in Girl Scouts this was like 25 years ago and my one Girl Scout leader was like you know you're gonna get yourself fucking shot one day (laughs) of the way I like talk back it was a different time people used to say that whatever uh, but, god the kinds of shit you could get away with in the early 90s that you can't do now is really anyway so you know I 
that's kind of always been something that I haven't put up with. You know, in college, I ratted out some creepy professors. One thing that I might say being a dom has helped me with is understanding power structures. So when people are like, you know, even with, so like with my, my former mentor, I wrote that article. One of my friends even was like, well, aren't you basically doing the same thing that she did to you? She tried to sabotage your career. So now you're sabotaging hers. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like that's not really, really hot. Like that's not how that works. The, the, there's such a, a deep power differential and there are, there are avenues that exist like Channel 9 offices, for instance, to help flatten that, that differential and even those favor the people of power, you know? So I would say that otherwise I might have felt guilty being like a snitch. But instead, I'm able to say, like, mm, actually, uh, you're not snitching when it's rape. <laughs> or, like, actually, sexual harassment, not okay. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> I'm, like, incapable of giving a straight answer. So I apologize. <laughs> no, 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 but that's good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I see this so much where somebody usually in a minority group is wronged and then other people then they get angry and other people are like well if you get angry like aren't you just as bad as the person who did that to you and it's like mm, no <laughs> no or like no. if someone's like man fuck white people after really anything yeah like the reverse racism claims like no sorry you can't oppress the oppressor you that's not how that works you can't do that <laughs> Oh, yes. I feel like I say that all the time. It's so good to hear that coming from someone else's mouth. I, yeah, that's usually what I say right before getting blocked by some, like, cis white dude. Emily, I feel like I've been talking a lot. Do you have any questions? Shelby, I feel like you're a lot more well-spoken to me when it comes to these issues. I am here to learn and observe. I do, I do have one that kind of ties back to an earlier point. Do you think that all the different forms of sex work get perceived differently like do you think people in general see i don't know like porn stars is just the most evil type of sex workers where strippers are oh these girls are just trying to get by but how do you think the public perceives different types of sex work i really think people see them pretty much as all the same like i think it all just gets boiled down to like whores you know <laughs> i had a tweet the other week ago not semi-viral maybe got like a thousand retweets or something about not not semi-viral <laughs> I mean you know I don't want to like get a big head and be a dick bag but you know I, I had a tweet the other week about sex work or like not outing sex workers for instance and I got a lot of responses from like people who don't like just randoms who were like oh you mean not adding pores i mean I, I think the general public doesn't really make a distinction between what we might consider a prostitute versus what we might consider an escort versus what is a street worker versus a dominatrix versus uh someone in a massage parlor versus like I, th I think it's just all like oh a dirty slut doing fucked up shit for money i'd say that porn stars are the most porn stars and strippers i'd say are, might be the most glamorized because they're the most visible is my guess like I and you know i'd say also porn stars and strippers as well you know there's a, a bigger stigma with clients of escorts and dominatrixes i think the assumption being that they have to pay for someone to fuck them which has never been the case in my experience and i've had a lot of experience <laughs> you know it's usually they're, they're fulfilling another need that isn't getting laid so i think 
Oh yeah, so so strippers and porn stars are uh, figures that I think it's more socially acceptable to like openly discuss because there's less shame in seeing or visiting or having sex with a porn star or a, or a stripper because uh, their jobs ostensibly don't include having sex with like clients. It's like even porn stars are having sex with their coworkers, you know. So an interesting situation that I got caught up in last week that Shelby and I were living for. And thank you for all the listeners that came from the drama of that situation. So I had posted in a public Facebook group just asking for people's support. And while I did get a lot of support, there were also women and there. There are no men in this Facebook group. That is a very important precursor. There were women who were saying that they were going to pray for me or saying that I don't represent the values and morals of all these different things. And it was so interesting because I very much specified, guys, I'm not a sex worker. I just have a sex work podcast. There were two very different things. <laughs> and I, I was surprised at the amount of backlash I was getting. People were making claims saying, I can't believe that you openly support child pornography and human trafficking. How do people make these claims like also they're far jumps and another question that I would love to just start a dialogue uh, with you about is I was able to keep my composure and I was very willing to start a dialogue because I honestly and truly believed that these women just had a lot of internalized misogyny and even if they didn't support doing sex work for themselves similar but not in a way that guilts people for doing sex work in a way where I would not support Shelby becoming an engineer because she would hate it. Where did these women come up with these claims? Do you think it is internalized misogyny? Do you think that these are beliefs that they have developed on their own? I'm just so confused. So I feel like this reminds me of, you know, every so often there will be a tweet that I see that says something like, uh, like sex workers are, are oh yeah sex workers are essential workers because without sex workers men would break more and the presumption i think is that men as a monolith have like a sex quota that needs to be filled right like they need six sex like a week or whatever <laughs> um and if sex workers don't exist to provide a portion of that then they'll just go a rape and that, that seems to be the presumption there that like they just have an itch to scratch and sex workers allow them to, which, you know, totally overlooks what we know to be true about rape, which is that it's about power and not about sex. But I, I feel like that's kind of the other, like, like an inverse of that, which is uh, like, well, you know, women being sexual or the existence of sex work or pornography somehow exacerbates men who would not be interested in sex otherwise or like awakens in men some like fucked up kinks and when i i, I don't want to like i don't want to kink shame but like you know fucked up shit like bclb or whatever um that they wouldn't have otherwise or that the the sheer volume of pornography in you know the internet era or whatever leads men or people who view porn to uh to seek out increasingly like hardcore pornography, which ultimately leads to like snuff films and child uh, sexual exploitation. But it, 
I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are like research studies and shit on this that I don't know about, but I, I think again, like similar to what I was saying earlier about women wanting to blame sex workers for sexism instead of blaming men for sexists. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's kind of that, like, oh, if you support sex workers and you exploit, then you support the sexualization of women, which, you know, through this convoluted, fucked up thought maze leads to sexual exploitation of children and like human trafficking. Bro, which- I was there. I was like, wait. And then I noticed that one of the women deleted all of her comments once I followed up and I was like, hey, this is a very common misconception. First of all, we've never interviewed a full service sex worker. We'd really like to, but we never have interviewed a full service sex worker. Second, I followed up with a study from the Journal of Medical Ethics about how decriminalization of sex workers is a medical or should be a something that's supported by medical professionals because it does more harm. Oh, yeah, that it's right, 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 right. Yeah. Same with like uh, decriminalization of drug use. Right. right. So it does, yeah. criminalization does a lot more harm than good. And I know that it's scary, but I promise that if you decriminalize it, there will not be strippers and porn stars all over the streets roaming to take your mans. Like that, that's not going to happen. Realistically. Yeah, I don't work for free. Like, like, <laughs> oh like realistically, nothing in most people's personal lives would change. It would just be a significant like people would be able to go in and seek treatment or seek help for just a variety of things without any judgment. I I actually don't think I need to go on about the benefits of it, especially to I have a, a friend who lives in the Netherlands and his wife was uh, um, paralyzed from the waist down. And he has talked to me about like really appreciating sex work being, I, I'm not sure if the Netherlands uses the nordic model or if it's decriminalization i do know that there is some aspect of legality in um in the netherlands uh and how he really appreciated being able to just like go and have consensual sex with someone and that his wife was happy for him to be able to do that as well because he still wanted to have this romantic connection with his wife he didn't want to have a romantic connection with someone else but like the dude still wanted to have sex (laughs) you know (laughs) and that that's a very I mean, it's probably less rare than we think, but you know, that's one instance where I think it's it's pretty uh, clear that it, it, sex work for like this for both of these people for everyone involved in that situation. And going back to that tweet that you mentioned earlier, while I feel like it was supposed to be in a favor of sex work, as in like oh, sex workers are important. It also totally implied that, like, violence against sex workers is fine. Oh, yeah. And, like, well, sex work is legalized rape. So, well, first of all, it's not legalized. But, like, so who cares if they get raped? Like, oh, it's a theft of services. Just, and, you know, I don't know, because of, you know, criminalization, who knows the, the percentage of sex workers who are full-service sex worker resources nature whatever the fuck but yeah no there is this like oh well this this disposable horror can kind of be our human shield from rapey men and you know uh like yeah disclaimer like not all like women can rape too not all rapists are men 
where I keep thinking that I'm like, no, don't get canceled. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah. That's half the reason we started this podcast is because during the Me Too movement, a lot of sex workers were saying we're being excluded from the narrative yet again. Uh, we experience sexual violence all the time, but nobody really seems to give a fuck about that. And just because in a way that sex workers are objectifying themselves doesn't make them objects like they're still people, you know, and they still need to be protected. Yeah. Or it makes me think of like if a client tries to bounce without paying and people are like, well, that's why you're supposed to collect up front. And like, well, yeah, that is why we generally do collect up front. But uh, that's why you're not supposed to stiff a sex worker. Like, can we focus on this first? Like, <laughs> um, how about we blame the the person who actually fucked the other person over? Maybe? Yeah, people are so quick to blame <laughs> sex workers for anything that happens to them. Yeah, it's or like, yeah, I, I mean, you know, you see this with like women or. I, I feel like I see media representations of this most often, but women who find out that their boyfriends or husbands or whatever are cheating on them with other women and then they blame the other woman. I'm like, the other woman didn't fucking cheat. You did. What the fuck? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Half the time they didn't even know that dude wasn't single. This is a really uh, good opportunity to say that women can yeah. have internalized misogyny and it is okay and you can learn and grow out of it and we would love to help you do so in whatever way possible but it does exist oh yeah oh yeah and often in more violent ways than it's well not often sometimes occasionally in more violent ways than it does in men yeah now the following statement disgusts me but i feel like it could be a really valuable opportunity for listeners who are just still kind of confused let me just ask my question. So, playing devil's advocate here, it's clearly risky. Clearly, there are a lot of ways that you can get hurt and your reputation can get damaged. Why keep doing it? <laughs> I'm glad you prefaced that with like, so this question's fucked up. I'm going to ask it. But also, yeah, a lot of people, which is, so like, you know, it's fun. So let's say that you're hungry and you eat. It doesn't mean that you won't get hungry again and have to eat more. <laughs> like, uh, so I, I, I personally keep doing it so that I can make money to do things like feed myself. <laughs> um, but, you know, there, there are myriad reasons that sex workers stay in sex work when there are other potential opportunities. You know, one being that it takes it takes a, a significant amount of time to get paid for legal labor in the U.S. You know, like, so I, at the institution where I attended graduate school, um, I wouldn't get paid until October 1st at the earliest. And I would start working in the middle of August. So how the fuck am I supposed to pay my September rent, right? Or my October rent for that matter, uh, depending on like what it's due or like when I'm getting paid. So, you know, even if you do have another opportunity in front of you, you need to have enough money to cover yourself between when you quit sex work, start that new job, and then get paid for that job. So I'd say that's one reason. Um, another is, so I am not one to say that sex work is empowering. I, that has not been my personal experience, really, as far as like, 
I mean, the, the best feeling I get from doing sex work is when I make a fuck ton of money in a short period of time, and then I am able to pay one of my bills. <laughs> like, and then I'm less in debt. Like, awesome. I love this country, no idol. So yeah, I don't, I don't think, I'm trying to remember what my point was now. I don't think sex work is necessarily empowering, but it is less dehumanizing than a lot of types of legal labor in my experience. I would rather make you know, I'd, ra I'd rather make money, um, you know, having someone suck on the heels of my feet for half an hour than making the same amount of money in a week, like working retail, which I have done. I worked retail all through graduate school, college, some of the, like, working fucked up retail. <laughs> um, and I can make the same in a day, but I would make in, you know, a week or sometimes even two weeks uh, working retail. And that, I mean, I don't think that's a case for sex work. I think it's more of a case against the way that our labor system and economy is set up, the way we value different types of, and like the difference between like work and a career and uh, just how there's zero social safety net for like anyone at this point. But I think sex work is a really reasonable and in many cases, in many ways, successful response to the failures of the state to take care of us. I mean, which we can see in like the explosion of OnlyFans in the past couple months. And like, yeah, people aren't faulting. Well, I mean, they are, of course they are, because they always will. But you know, it's more understanding that like, oh, well you have to make money in a pandemic. <laughs> um, like we're all experiencing the pandemic. So we're all, you know, seeing this happen in real time. It makes sense. Yeah, I so you, earlier when you said sex work in your experience hasn't been empowering, I would love to hear more about your perception on that because we get both from sex workers. Like it is and isn't empowering. Well, so I, I don't think it's any really any more empowering than any other labor I've done. I would say teaching feels more empowering because, you know, like when I, I get a student who like walks into my class with a certain bias and leaves without that bias, or, uh, you know, I, I, I find that empowering because you can see immediately how this is literally empowering, especially my demographic of students, which are mostly first generation, how that is, I don't want to say like helping them, like helping them with class mobility because the American dream is a lie but you know you could you could see the immediate effect of that having so teaching I would say is empowering but that um for me but as far as all the other labor I've done and I've done I've had so many fucking stupid jobs I worked at a renaissance festival once like I've been a janitor <laughs> like, I I don't think sex work is disempowering but I don't necessarily in any way other than work sucks work sucks agreed yeah work. <laughs> like i i don't think of it as sex um i know a lot you know this kind of drives me nuts when other sex workers will say like oh i get so turned on when like i have a i don't know a foot guy or like ass worship or whatever and i'm like actually i don't like mixing those two really like, I know they are inherently mixed because sex and work are infused within everything in American culture, but, like, <laughs> um, that that's not my experience of sex work. So, yeah, I, I don't really think of it as, I don't know, any different from any other labor. Even then, like, you know, when I have clients talking about, like, 
female superiority or whatever. I'm like, that's not empowering. Like deification is still dehumanization. It's just from a different end. And also if it really is like, if, if you really believe in female supremacy, then why do you have your finance job? Like, that is, like, actively contributing to, like, all this fucked up shit in our culture. That's a really interesting take. Yeah, we've we've talked to a few women who, they'll start doing it and they'll be like, oh, I really like it, but I feel guilty for liking it. Have you ever met anyone like that? I, I'd say I have talked to some people who feel guilty for liking it, but I think more often I come into contact with people who feel guilty for not liking it because they fear that saying like, actually, yeah, sex work can be exploitative in the same way that work is exploitative. <laughs> they don't want to contribute to, to whore phobia. And, uh, you know, the happy whore myth is just so present. And, uh, you know, as a response to stigma, sex workers, myself included, want to kind of uh, downplay the bad parts of sex work and emphasize the good parts. But I don't know. It's like, it's a, it's a, I maybe I'm just like a lunatic, but I just see it as a job like any other. I, I don't think I have encountered anyone who felt bad. Maybe in when I've worked in dungeons and and my coworkers have gone to do like certain sessions they haven't done before, they'll come back and be like, "Yo, I really liked being on that guy, and I don't know how to feel about it." Like, but <laughs> aside from that, like I I personally don't really. Do you think people, going back to Emily's question, do you think people really even need a reason to get into sex work or is it just something people can do whenever? I mean, I think, no, I don't think people need a reason. I mean, we have, you know, like we have reasons for doing everything, but sex workers are expected in a similar way, I find, to academics to have some kind of narrative that justifies their own exploitation. You know, like as a an academic, I'll get like, well, you, you must have not expected to make any money. And like my choosing to pursue this field justifies living in poverty. <laughs> so I think sex work is similar to that versus, you know, if you are, if you're grown and like working, if you're a manager at a fast food restaurant and you're 50, then you don't need to like or maybe, I mean, who am I to say? That's probably a, a similar, like, well, you know, I wanted to do X, but then I had kids. Blah, 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 blah. But I, I think it comes down to expecting individuals to justify the, like, systemic exploitation that we all face instead of actually addressing the issue at hand. I'm such a Foucauldian. It makes me want to just push myself into a locker. <laughs> no, this has been such an interesting conversation. These are questions that I've always wanted to like ask people, but they either don't know enough about sex work in order to have that conversation with me or like their views are really fucked up. So I don't really want to know what they are. So <laughs> I'm so glad that we've got to, I've got to ask you all these questions. <laughs> I have two more okay. quick questions. Okay. Ready? 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 They're fun ones. Okay. Weirdest thing you've ever stuck in a person? That's a really good question. I'm going to have, I'm like, candlestick? My fist? Uh, I mean, of course you have your run-of-the-mill dildos and vibrators and shit, but uh, no live animals or anything. Like, I I don't fuck with that. Uh, Not like I've ever been asked to, but I would say no. (laughs) 
Yeah, no. For a moment, I was about to be like, um, though I, I was in I went to Bangkok a, a while ago, and um, got like you know people will try to get you to go into these these ping pong shows where women will like shoot stuff out of their vaginas, um, including sometimes like fish or gerbils. No, that's not my cup of tea. Uh, <laughs> um, hmm. I, I think the weirdest might just be you know like like a electric toothbrush but I, I i'll i'll try to think because because there's got to be something fucking weirder than that you know and that's why i ask yeah <laughs> i'm like have i ever stuck my foot in something i don't think so all right now ready for the second one yep okay yeah do you have Lacroix in the dungeon that you work out of no um what wait Lacroix. it this has been a whole bit so I was actually right when um right when the pandemic hit I was transitioning between two dungeons so I can't speak to what was in the one I was about to start at because it shut down like the day I was supposed to start there (laughs) but no we had I think we had like diet coke and and water and beer we used to have hard liquor and wine but then this one bitch girl I work with kept like drinking all of it just to, like be an asshole not because like I mean she did have a problem with being an asshole but she wasn't an alcoholic <laughs> okay I was gonna say that would be me and Shelby in a dungeon especially if there's white clutch just game over oh well we would bring those and keep that like in our lockers and stuff absolutely Ooh. yeah or we'd like we totally like have a beer or whatever she just like like because of that one bitch the owner just stopped stocking the alcohol she liked <laughs> good uh, but like we the rest of us also liked it whatever it's it's besides the point <laughs> yeah i love i love finding the similarities between tech offices and sex dungeons and i actually went back and i told my coworkers about this i was like yeah yeah for my podcast i found out about this thing haha <laughs> all right anyways back to work or like so after a session there's a bunch of paperwork you have to fill out or at least when I work in dungeons, that's been the case. You have to fill out, like, you have to sign, like, this one thing. You need to, like, log what time the session started, what time it ended, the room number you were in. Like, <laughs> you you have to sign out every piece of equipment that you take. Be like, one, logger. Like, one, cat of nine tails. <laughs> uh, three, dildos. The shit even had a barcode in the last place I was at <laughs> that you would scan. I have so many follow-up questions to that, but we do not have time to get into that right now. <laughs> Dr. Mr. Snow, thank you so much for coming on. Shelby, I'll let you wrap this episode up. Yeah, uh, we really appreciate you getting back to us and doing this episode with us. I'm so excited for it to come out. Um, I'm literally already thinking of title names, so getting super excited. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, this was really fun. Thanks. Do you have any social media that you want us to plug so our listeners can find you? Yeah, so I am uh, rather prolific on Twitter. My Twitter is uh, at Mistress Snow PhD, three S's in a row. <laughs> I tweet a fairly healthy mix of well, healthy stuff about you know academia, our the hellscape that is our current sociopolitical situation, <laughs> um, and sex work and like labor rights, um, and I shit post a lot because. Because what the fuck else are we going to do in a pandemic? My God. <laughs> um, I also have an Instagram, but I, I barely use it. 
but you know, every so often I'll be like, I should update my Instagram. I'm going to find a picture of a dungeon from last year because there's a pandemic and I can't go take new pictures, Andy which is also Mr. Snow. <laughs> well, yeah, you should definitely go follow her. We follow her on Twitter and she's right. Her Twitter is great. You definitely need to check it out. You can check us out on Twitter too at Candy Girl Pod or on Instagram at Candy Girl Podcast. And we have a website, lest you forget, it's candygirlpodcast.com. And we like push it so hard. So you should probably have seen it by now if you're listening. Mr. Snow, again, thank you so much. And we will hear from you guys next week. Thank you.